Weddings are wonderful occasions. I love weddings. I had, had the joy of officiating um, at, at a wedding yesterday. Yet I know from personal experience that arranging a wedding is a stressful and a costly thing with many worries and concerns. And you kind of just hope and pray that the day goes by without any major hiccups. And that's nothing new. The same would have applied to the wedding that we read about in John chapter 2. One of the kind of major differences was that in, in Jesus' time, um, weddings, or at least the reception part, could last for anything up to a week. And it was the kind of groom's responsibility to make sure that everybody was watered and fed for that week. That's tradition perhaps we should go back to. But anyway, but that they were watered and, 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 and fed for. And it was a means of not just embarrassment, but actually disgrace should the food or drink run out. And as we read, or as we read there, that is what happens here. And then Jesus is invited to intervene into the situation by Mary. And, and, and we'll look at all of that, that that signifies in a moment. However, just one important general point to make in regards to, to, to this that will keep us in good stead for, for the rest of John's gospel. As John calls this a miraculous sign, it is the first seven signs. There are seven miracles contained within John's gospel. And indeed, many, many of the scholars see chapter 1 through to, to chapter 12 as the book of signs. And here we have the first of them. And yes, they are miracles. But we need to see, friends, that John looks beyond just the miracle itself in order to emphasize the significance of the action rather than the marvel of it. Marvelous as any miracle and sign is. I mean, who changes water into wine? Gospel. The miracles, though they are no less real, I know they, and, and although they point beyond themselves to Jesus and to his significance, this is not just Jesus at a wedding coming to the rescue of some embarrassed wedding host who was caught short with a wine. If that's all we see of this miracle, then we've missed the point completely. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is a story, this is a sign that carries remarkable symbolism for Jews and their Messiah and equally so for us today because as verse 11 tells us, this is where Jesus' glory was revealed and this is where his disciples put his faith in him. Three things for us to notice. There's a problem, there's provision, and then we'll look at the purpose. Problem. I, 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 as I said, uh, for this kind of to happen, to, to, to run out of wine, 
what was a major problem. It was not unknown for it actually, believe it or not, to have legal ramifications. And it would bring a great deal of, of shame onto the host and onto the newly married couple. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to Jesus and says that they have no more wine. It may have been, don't like to speculate too much, but it may have been that Mary had something to do with the catering. But, but whether that was the case or not, the problem was that the wine had run out. It had come to an end. And you see, friends, that is the case with everything that is not of God. There will come a time when it, as it were, runs out. Everyone at the wedding reception that day was eating and drinking and giving no thought to, to the, for want of a better word, the drought that was to come. But stop it, did. And the, the same can be said of the pleasures, or so-called pleasures, of this world. One day, they will run out. One day, they will fail to satisfy. And yet, for so many people, drink and food and having, or as here, until it runs out. How many people this morning are lying in their bed trying to recover from what they thought was a good night last night? That good a night that many of them can't even remember. The old Tim is so true. I tried the broken systems, Lord, but the waters failed. Why? Because none but Christ can satisfy. And we will see that with the new wine that Jesus provides. None but Christ can satisfy. And here's a challenge. Who is it? What is it that you are looking to for he provides? Then there's a problem. And when we reach that stage, the only thing we can do is do what Mary does and turn to Jesus and trust in his provision. Indeed, we don't need to wait till everything else has run out or a problem arises before we turn to him. I think we sometimes romanticize that's the right word. The parable of the prodigal son. We forget how far he had to fall. Don't fall that far. Don't wait till things have run out. Turn to Jesus. And turn to him now. It's a problem. But there's provision. You ever ask yourself, I, I've said before, I always ask questions of when I'm studying. It's my way, part of my way of trying to put together a sermon. 
ask questions of a text. Why, why did Mary turn to Jesus for help? I, I, and did she actually expect Jesus to do anything about it? As his mother, she certainly knew him. But he had at this time performed no miracles. Yet here, in some ways, she gives, I think, an example of, of, of simple prayer. She just kind of lays the need before him. There's no way. Seems such a simple, straightforward statement, straight, straightforward request. And, 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 it, and it just seems that she, she, she trusts, maybe even expects him to do something. And at first, if we're honest, it seems, or at least to me, Jesus' response is kind of rather terse. But actually, the NIV has got it right here. The NIV has, dear woman. That expresses actually affectionate undertones. And if you know your Bible well and, and you turn towards the end of John's Gospel, you will know that it is the exact same phrase that Jesus used from the cross when he addressed Mary. Chapter 19, verse 26. He is not being disrespectful to his mother here. However, the apparent hesitation to, to get involved, involved sorry, shows a very important shift. It shows a shift in the relationship with, with, with his mother and to his whole reason for coming into the world. Or I think the AV has it, my hour has not yet come. And that phrase, my time or my hour, is a key theme in the Gospel of John. And it begins to unfold more and more as, as Jesus lives out his ministry. And what one writer calls a heavenly timetable marked out by the Father. That's where Jesus was heading. That's where Jesus was living. A heavenly timetable marked out by his Father. And that will climax at the cross. And that is his time. That is his hour. Everything else leads up to that time and that hour. So when we come across this phrase, and we will in John's Gospel, the time or the hour, it is the cross. Yet Mary's kind of not put off by what Jesus says and turns to the servants and just says, do what he tells you. Kind of shows that she trusted Jesus. She's brought him problem. And, and kind of faith believing that he'll do what was right, she obeys and she tells others to do the same. You see, bringing something to Jesus, asking him, praying, needs to be followed by a willingness to obey. There comes a time when, hear me right here, our, our praying needs to stop and our actions need to take over. Doesn't mean that we stop praying. All right, I'm not suggesting that for a minute, so please don't think that. But if we continually pray about something and God makes it clear to us, then we need to do it. I, I never like using many self-illustrations, but I, I remember when I was under conviction about God's call into to, to ministry and, 
and all the fears and all the worries and, and, and everything that I had. And, and, and we would pray about it and, and, and we would seek God's will. And, and, and there came a time when it was just abundantly clear that, that like, I, I just had to at least, I just at least had to take the step. If nothing happened, that was fine, but, but I had to take the step. I, and, and I remember saying to someone one day that if I hadn't taken, God had made it so clear that, that if I hadn't taken that step, then I had no right whatsoever to pray to God to ask him for anything again. There comes a time when we have prayed about it and God's made it clear. So, so kind of stop praying about it and do something about it. That's what happens. Verse 6 tells us that nearby there were six stone water jars and that these jars were there and they were used for uh, ceremonial washing. That is a crucial piece of information in regards to the meaning behind the sign of the miracle. These six stone jars were not just for kind of holding water. Water. The fact that they were stone and not clay actually showed that they were of deeply religious significance. The Jews believed that they became ceremonially unclean kind of during the normal circumstances of, of, of daily life. And, and, and they would go through a ritual, and it was a ritual, of, of hand washing in order to make them clean again. You can read all about what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. And what Jesus is, is he takes these empty jars and he tells the servants to fill them with water which they do. And then he tells them to draw some of the water out and take it to the master of the banquet, which they do. It's now the best of wine is now available. And provision is made. And everybody is happy. And embarrassment is spared. And everybody can get back to having a good time. The wine, the best of the wine is flowing. And very few knew how it came about. But as I said, is that all that this is about? Meeting a need and saving somebody from being embarrassed? No. So let's look at this look at the sign at the miracle and see its deeper purpose. John tells us that this was the first of his miraculous signs. Whether that means his very first or the first performed in Cana, I don't know. But what we do see is that it revealed his glory, which chapter 1 and verse 14 tells us of. We see that it also resulted, friends, in his disciples putting their faith in him, which you will recall is the whole purpose of the gospel being written, chapter 20, verse 31. So as we look at the wider and, and the deeper purpose behind this sign, what this world has to offer will always run out. Yet what Jesus offers, what Jesus provides, will never run out. It's also interesting to notice that the master of the ceremonies that day declared that the best the choice wine was left to the last. How upside down is that? 
compared to the world today. You see, doesn't the world today so often seek to tempt us with what it sees as best first? Then we get hooked. And then we see actually that things only get worse. That what was once promised is not what it once was or what it was promised to be. And we are left thirsting, thirsting after something that will truly satisfy us. The world wants to give us and perceive what is best for us. Also, the fact that this happened at a wedding mustn't be overlooked. We saw last time, didn't we, when, when Andrew went to get his brother. You know, so remember what he said, chapter 1, verse 41? We have found the Messiah. Jesus' ministry has now begun. And one of the many themes of the Messiah was the wedding banquet to come. And here Jesus shows that he has not only arrived, but he has come to fulfill, and indeed, as one writer puts it, upend what he finds. The old wine has been replaced with the new wine. The empty, dead, formal religion with all of its ceremonies and all of its rituals is being replaced with something far, far better. The empty, formal religion as seen in the six empty stone jars, they need to be touched and they need to be filled with the best. Brothers and sisters, Jesus brings fullness where there is emptiness. Jesus brings joy where there is disappointment. It is only Jesus who can wash us internally, whereas the old way of the old way intense. We're filled with the best producing an abundance of wine. The old was gone and the new in Jesus has come. This wedding account, this miracle, this sign is shouting out that God has arrived in Christ. And in him and in him alone there is life and life in all of its fullness. The old way never ever satisfies Yet so often, even as Christians, we can cling to, as it were, stone jars, to rituals and, 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 and to customs and habits that have, yes, maybe everything to do with, with, with religion, but very little to do with the life and the vibrancy and the new wine that Jesus offers. In his book, chap called Gary Birch says this, Jesus was bringing a renewal to Cana and to Judaism that would forever change everything they did before Adam. He no doubt desires to do the same with us. Christianity following Jesus 
It's through the living Saviour and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is when we drink deep of him, brother, sister, we will, as another old song says, no, never thirst again. Beware of holding on to religious relics and rituals and let the new life that Jesus offers fulfill you and satisfy you. And you know what? No matter how good or even bad and hard things are for the Christian, the best, the best, is still to be. Yet we can experience something of it here and now. One final thought regarding the purpose. Because it actually presents a very down-to-earth practical lesson in serving God. We see here cooperation between the servants, the disciples, Mary, as they all obey what Jesus says. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is what God looks for. And who knows? Because God hasn't changed. His power hasn't changed. Who knows what miracles, who, what signs God can and will do even today as we seek to trust and obey. A wedding, as I said at the beginning, is a great affair. And each one that I attend reminds me of the wedding banquet that's to come. In that place where the streets shine. In that place where there is wine ever flowing. And where one day I will be only because of Jesus and his love. Will you be there? Turn to him now. Trust him. Follow him. Forget about dead religion and rituals. And you know the new wine, as it were, the new life that Jesus offers as we trust in him. Well, you no doubt know what our final hymn is. There's a place where the streets shine. 